1990, the disco scene was alive and thriving. No, no, wait. In 1990, grunge had taken over the world. No, not that either. Truth is, the brothers of Hidden Jukebox didn't live in New York in 1990 and can't really speak to the club scene at the time. That being said, a little group of producers, DJs, performers made a huge splash that year with a hit throwback to the 70s dance scene. D-Light, despite having this one hit, wrote a song that transcends the cycles that music goes through decade after decade. The fact is, people love to dance. Create something catchy enough, and it will stick around forever. See Bee Gees. Sometimes musical groups ride the wave of a genre that has gained steam. Sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. Today on Hidden Jukebox, we discuss the 90s disco hit, Grooves in the Heart. Now, do you like to dance? I do. Okay. Um, no, I was I was genuinely curious. I don't. Uh, I've been dance. I, I've been out dancing one time. That that. See, I've known you for forty one years, and that doesn't surprise me in the <laughs> that's, slightest. That's one more than you would have guessed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I just want to add in here. Uh, Welcome back to reality. This is the first time that Hidden Jukebox is being recorded with us actually looking at each other across the table in over a year. So yeah, and that, I already already had to turn Jake down because he was clipping. Yeah, well, that that's what I do. I, I clip and I... Um, this, these are your dance moves. You yeah, clip, you yeah. pop, you lock. Um, and, and then, uh, damn it, last episode we figure out that word that he uses when he's going to... Oh, chirp out. Oh, yeah, then you chirp that, out. Then That's I right. chirp out. Yes, no, no. Uh, the, the time I went dancing, I went dancing with, uh, with my friend Molly and a couple other friends, and uh, we chirped out pretty early because uh, it was like a bad scene in some way that I didn't understand. Well, I want to make clear that I've never been into the club scene. I have been to clubs before where people are dancing and I'm drinking and watching from the side. But like okay. when we had dances in high school, I was really into it. Yeah, that doesn't count at all. I went to high, did I go to high school dances? No, I went to middle school dances. Okay, wh- what about weddings? I hate weddings. Um, have I danced at a wedding? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I hate weddings. Uh, wow. <laughs> you're, you're like that pleasant person to be around. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the fun guy. The, yeah, the, the fun guy. I, I dance my ass off at weddings. Like, Okay, like, that's good. I'm the guy who's like, come on, everybody, let's get it started. And I don't even need alcohol for it. I'll, I'll just get up there and get it going. That's good. No, my thing at weddings is when they say, like, uh, d- does anybody have any reason why they, why they shouldn't be married? Like, I jump to my feet and I'm like, let's let's pause and think about this. This is a big decision, you guys, right? <laughs> uh, I'm glad you don't actually do that. Something tells me that they wouldn't be too happy about it. <laughs> I, the, I would never get invited to any other wedding, but it might be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, would I would I care if I was never invited to any other wedding? No, probably not. You just admitted that you hate weddings. Cool. All right. <laughs> um, so let's this this I feel like is a quintessential disco song. It didn't come out during the golden age of disco, like in the late seventies. But there's nothing about it that sets it apart from that, like musically, right? So I've been thinking about this this week. I'm trying to think of a, another genre that has continuously put out hits that can fall under that genre almost year after year where it's hard to differentiate what year they would have come out. So mm, that's a good, that's a good point. So it's like, this isn't produced in a way where you listen to it and go, well, clearly late eighties, early nineties. True. Um, you know, 
part of the things one of, one of the things that I discovered researching this is this album has the James Brown horns on it. It's got Bootsy Collins on it. Yep. Like like they were using live musicians that had been around in the 70s and had been part of this funk and disco scene and still to this day perform and do the same type of music that they were doing then and the decade before and the decade before. Now, I'm almost at this point, like in the 2020s, I'm tempted to give rock as an answer. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) right? I I mean, yes. uh, I don't know. Like, the problem is I don't listen to a lot of contemporary rock no you're you're right and there there is like a 2020s like hip-hop influenced rock sound that <sighs> that charts that that's a tragedy <laughs> I, I, like i mean you you are in a rap rock band damn it i didn't even think of that <laughs> it's until not, right it's now. not it's not really the same not, sound at it's, all it's but. not the same sound but but yeah i mean rock has always been guitar bass drums but like during the 80s Yes, decided that they want to throw synth into their music. And you can tell 80s Yes very distinctly from 70s Yes or Metallica. You can tell what they wrote in the 2010s versus the 1990s and 1980s because it sucks. (laughs) Because uh, they benefited from therapy. (laughs) Or or didn't benefit. So, no, I think think you're right. Um, Like, and it's... You know, I think it partly has to do with like how viable a genre it is, um, and that's that's why I think like like uh, you know there are there are rock songs that have charted in like the last ten years that uh, you know are pure like throwback kind of stuff, like like the Black Keys. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, uh, there's like people people are always going to enjoy nostalgia, and disco is is a nostalgic genre, and. I, I said in the intro, people love to dance. Yeah. And this is the type of song that if you went to weddings regularly, you would discover still gets played a lot at weddings. And people know this song. Now, I want to add in here that we have broken the rules on on this episode of Hidden Jukebox, which I'm not sure we've ever mentioned, but uh, I like to do songs and or albums that uh, sold at least a million copies, and obviously our genre is '90s over anything else. Yeah. Well, this song was released technically in 1989. Is that is that true? Like, I didn't. I would Google that, and I didn't find the it. The album was recorded in 1989. Well, but the, that doesn't mean it was released in 1989. No, the song was released in 1990. So it's it's cusp. It's like a Pisces versus an Aries. Yeah, it's just like that. Um, and it supposedly only sold 500,000 copies in the United States, although it's got something like 111 million plays on Spotify. I think so it counts. It, it counts. Um, but everybody seems to know this song, uh, apparently except your wife. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is the most surprising thing I've ever learned about my wife, is that uh, she was not familiar with this song. Then I put it on, she's like, maybe I've heard part of this. Which, which I think, like, does speak to something about the song because this song has some like wildly divergent sections that kind of zoom in and out, which I think is a characteristic of disco. Yeah. Um, another thing that I was thinking about this week, disco. You know, the whole idea of 
of a club scene and a party vibe is a DJ wants to create a playlist that kind of segues from one song to the next so there's not a break where people go, up oh, time to go to the bathroom. Right. Or like The DJ does not want people to poop. Well, they don't... They That's also don't the want, only thing I know about DJs. They also don't want the slowdown song where people are like, oh, it's slow dance time at the disco. Uh, right. Find your partner or it's time to do do Have we talked about this before? Uh, what was what was this, the last slow dance song uh, at school dances? And was there one that like was required? I don't know if we've talked about this. I, okay. I, I, know, I know that I had two. Uh, one was End of the Road by Boys to Men. Of course. Uh, the other... The really, really awkward one was Stairway to Heaven. Okay, yeah, that's I, that's what I thought you were going to say because that was when I was in middle school. Like I, I didn't really like go to high school dances, but I would always go to middle school dances, and it was the law that you had to play Stairway to Heaven as the final song. One time, the DJ didn't have it, and there was almost a riot. <laughs> boo, boo! <laughs> you suck, DJ turntable. Right, and of course, it's a terrible song for slow dancing. Well, because it steadily picks up, and right? The, and by the end of the song, where You're they're like, at, mm. and as we ro- wind down, wind on down the road, like everybody's standing there going, mm. uh, "Are we still supposed yeah. to be slow dancing?" But but we would. It was very stupid. Yeah, well, we didn't know any better. Um, this would get played at my middle school and high school dances as well. Yeah. Like, see, I was I was uh, this was after my time. But this is what I'm saying is I'm not sure that this song had an after my time type of thing. Like, <laughs> no, I mean it hadn't come out. yet. Oh, that's not true. Uh, guess <laughs> well, when I you guess, were in middle okay, school. Okay, no, no, it was it was out when I was in high school, but not middle school. Um, so this song samples a Herbie Hancock song uh, called "Bring Down the Birds." That's only like a minute and a half interlude. Yeah, and basically the whole song is this bass line, just like this actual song that, is basically the baseline that is such an incredible riff it's one of those like you know it's it's just like the purest of pentatonic riff and it's just like you know it existed before herbie hancock like you know looked under a rock and there it was yeah exactly like this was one of the first things that i remember teaching myself on bass where i felt like really really accomplished like oh yeah. i can play the bass now because i can play grooves in the heart yeah and Which is that was not meant as a slight against Herbie Hancock, obviously, who is one of the most brilliant musicians of all time. And you you mentioned somewhere in here about how this song doesn't follow normal song structure, right? Um, it's not even exactly that. It's more that just the the different parts of the song are like more divergent from each other than like a typical like, you know, we did the song Seether. Right, yeah. a few weeks ago, and like Seether is a is a very focused song in the sense that it's kind of doing the same thing nonstop from from the first second to the last. That doesn't mean that it's that it's monotonous. Like it has harmonic interest, but like you know, it has a very uh, you know particular sound and style and and lyrical approach. And this song is just kind of all over the place. Like you could you could drop in for like the few seconds of like the slide whistle part and the intro and the chorus and think you're think you're listening to three different songs. Yeah, and yet the the beat is pervasive, like through through the entire thing, like like it, it it still works as a dance track, even though there are these dropouts and yeah. and there's the whole section with Q-tip that I had completely forgotten, which existed. is very good. Like yeah. it's a really fun verse. So I want I want to tell the story. Um, one of the only things that you can do for free in New York City is go on to uh, talk shows and late night shows. Right. Uh, so 
a couple different. You mean times. the audience, the, not not yeah, like not be on not, the not show. like not like be a guest. I mean, yeah, because if, if this story is going to be how like you did a tight five on Kimmel, I'm not. I don't believe I, you. I'm famous enough. They just haven't invited me yet. That they're waiting right. for the right time post COVID. Um, I was in the audience for Letterman a couple times, and the first time, Q-Tip was the musical guest, and he was phenomenal. Excellent. So I like to say that I've been to a Q-Tip concert, even though the concert was four and a half minutes long. That counts. Yeah. Really, really cool experience, though. Got to meet, uh, as he called it, the world's most dangerous band after the show. Oh, that's great. You lived in New York for a while. Did you ever do anything Uh, like this? uh, Yeah, I I was in the Letterman audience once. Uh, The guests were... Uh, what's her name? Uh, just it just flew out of my head. Uh, you know, a, a, an actress, a white actress. Wow. Um, <laughs> that that narrows it down. Uh, it might come to me. And I think Jungle Jack Hannah was on, but like every time I, I remember that, I'm like, was that really while I was there? He was on the show a lot. The the most interesting thing I remember from being in the audience is Patricia Arquette. I was going to go with Meryl Streep, almost the same person. No, Meryl Streep would have been easy to remember because she's very famous. Okay. Uh, So David Letterman basically makes all the rules in order to make it as comfortable for him as possible, including the fact that he gets very warm, apparently, when he performs. very cold. So they keep the theater, I think, at 50 degrees, and they tell you in the notes when they're giving you all the information about when to show up and everything to bring a jacket, and it is cold in there. But like when they cut to the audience, is it a bunch of people wearing jackets? I've never I don't noticed, remember but, that. but I think it is. Okay, I know, I remember that I was wearing at least a hoodie and did yeah. not take it off the entire time. Uh, no, I remember that too. I was I I got the impression that it was like he thought people were like you know more kind of uh, like on the edge of their seats, like jumpy when it's cold and re- ready to laugh. Well, they also tell you before the the, the whole thing starts. You have to laugh at absolutely everything. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't care if you find it the most unfunny thing you've ever heard in your life. You have to laugh at it. Yeah. And they've got the applause light and everything. Like, it's it's an old-fashioned business. Yeah, exactly. And, and Q-Tip is an old-fashioned guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, When you go dancing, do you do the, uh, the groove is in the heart, like, uh, you know, standing, like, uh, centipede dance? No, I mostly do the uh, Michael Jackson smooth criminal lean. Yeah, that's what I figured. Because <laughs> I, I, I rewatched this video, because I remember this video playing nonstop on MTV and being, like, at, at the time, like, like very impressed by the dance uh, that she does, like using wearing the. How would you describe this outfit? It's like all diamonds, and and isn't not, it a, isn't not like it a unitard? Diamonds. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a it's a unitard. Uh, uh, well, it's a bodysuit that that is de- decorated entirely in, in diamond patterns, not diamond the gem. I, I'm not going to get into the difference between a unitard and a bodysuit right now, but. We'll go with it. Yeah, actually, I don't think I, I. I think I don't know what the difference between a unitard and a leotard is. So maybe a unitard is just a bodysuit. Anyway, uh, so uh, so I watched it. It's still very impressive, and like I tried to do it and and couldn't. I I don't think that I could pull that off. I never said I was a good dancer. I said that I like to go dancing. I'm I'm a terrible dancer. Yeah. Um, but uh, that doesn't surprise me. The, the the video is very very dated. I will say that. But. I think it was dated when it came out. Yeah, like, like it's a throwback thing. It's like it's like the video equivalent of that '70s show. 
Yeah, totally. Right? Okay, I'm like, I had to think about that for a minute. It, yeah, it totally. It's not. Is. It's not dated in the sense that like, whoa, this is super 1990. It's that this is like super like 1967. But you watch it and, 77, and maybe. and you you basically think, oh my god, I'm blanking on her name now. The, the Lady Miss Keir. Uh, is that what she goes by? The lead singer of of Delight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. She's born to be a performer. Yes, like, like absolutely. You watch this, and this is their only hit, and she is like made to be in front of the camera, like absolutely loving it. And you can tell that that like she was a stage performer in the '90s New York club scene because she's just like like born to be in front of a camera, born to be in front of people. Yeah, there are there are uh, videos of her performing like at pride festivals, like within the last 10 years or so, and, and she is still great. Which is amazing because this band was not around for very long at all. They, no. they broke up by uh, before the, the 2000s. I know yeah. that. Um, what was the other thing I was going to say about the video? Uh well, damn it. it! It went on my head. That's fine. So, so let's let's talk a little more about disco because, like, the story of disco is pretty interesting. Uh, in that, like, I, I feel like this is something we keep running into on this show, um, where uh, gatekeepers sort of make an arbitrary judgment about a musical genre or type of performer that uh, then later we have to like unpack our shit later to realize was uh, completely unfounded. Um, in the sense that, so disco was like the most popular genre of music in America at the end of the 70s. And then there was this backlash led essentially by white DJs, and like like radio DJs and rock critics saying that like, you know, disco is like bullshit music that, uh, you know, that's inauthentic and like doesn't respond to real issues and like that the, the real music we all know is rock music made by white guys. And of course, disco was a, was a genre created by, especially by queer people of color, um, and you know, came out of those subcultures, and the it was in retrospect really like an incredibly like disco sucks was like basically a Trumpist backlash of of the time against uh, you know against this this genre of music, and I think I think clearly if I had been around at the time, I would have been on the wrong side of this. What what do you consider the wrong side of this? Oh, the disco sucks side is the wrong side. Yeah, but but I'm not, I probably would have been with you, but I'm not sure it would have been politically motivated in any way. Probably just no, but like it would have been it would have be, been because of like unexamined biases. So have you watched the Bee Gees documentary? No, I heard it's great. It is absolutely fantastic i probably I, heard this from you i i will say that i'm not a huge Bee Gees fan but that band was a money-making hit writing powerhouse oh yeah and they discuss during uh during the documentary the thing that was called disco demolition night right which happened in chicago and this shock jock whose name was steve doll arranged for thousands of people to show up to the park and basically destroy disco records. And it, like you said, it was like this straight, probably Republican white guy basically inciting a riot against disco. And this was 1979 at like the height of disco right. popularity. Like people, it was such a polarizing genre, probably for partially what you're talking about, partially because, you know, things jumped straight from 
rock music to dance music like like yeah. a musical backlash during that time and i think a lot of people felt like they were left behind like right, no, i don't no, want to like this music it's exactly it's, it's it's feeling like oh no i might not be cool anymore because i'm not 22 anymore like i need to do something about this right like like especially like the punk scene i think about absolutely where, yes. where they were starting to gain momentum like the clash and bands like that and then disco comes along and the punk scene was basically a bunch of white guys at that time and they absolutely hated the fact that disco kind of stole their thunder yeah although to, to be fair to the clash like they were they were very progressive and like you know absorbed disco influences into their music True. And, uh, and other you know other punk fans like uh, you know uh, shit all over them for that unfairly yeah yeah so so interestingly Disco is kept up despite all of this. Yeah. Punk is kept up despite all of this. Like like these genres remain uh present in today. Uh Dua Lipa. Yeah, yeah. The, like the Dua Lipa song, uh like uh Don't, don't like, Start Now. Don't start now. Yeah, that's that's absolutely a disco track. Uh you know, Juice by Lizzo is definitely a disco track and probably several other uh cuts from that Lizzo album. And this is the this is the contemporary stuff that I absolutely love. Like, yeah. like where I can listen to it and go, "Oh man, I'm so glad that stuff like this is popular right now." Because especially that Dua Lipa album is absolutely fantastic, yeah, start great. to finish. And when you listen to her interviews with her, she talks about '70s funk bands and bands like Jamiroquai, and that she was going for that sound. That that like she loves that throwback sound, and you like with undisciplined ears you listen to it and you go that's just a dance track but when you start like breaking it down you're like oh she's totally doing this homage to a lot of things that were coming before her so so what are the aspects of of like the the sound uh like the the arrangement uh and the production that make it sound disco do you think so four on the floor Mm -hmm. is like the the idea of a kick drum beat that's like boom 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 Yeah, Uh, a lot of prevalent bass, like slap bass, things like that. Uh, Prince or uh, 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 what's the what's the name of the famous guy who played on Get Lucky? Uh, Nigel. Boy, hey, the, Pharrell. No, <laughs> uh, that that kind of slinky guitar sound, and then and then kind of synth keys. Oh, oh, um, uh, Nile Rogers. Nile Rogers. Yeah. Damn it, I should have got. I that. almost said Nels Klein. Those are very similar names, kind of. Yeah, completely different styles of guitar, though. Um, and so she's doing that a lot. Uh, Lizzo. I I don't know if you've ever seen any live performances. Yes. Of, of Lizzo. It's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she is strutting it the entire time, and then like all of a sudden out of nowhere pulls out flute, flute. yeah, and and just <laughs> completely throws down on the flute. And you're like, what the hell is going on right now? And and it's incredible. It's it's kind of a throwback. It's kind of her own style doing her own thing, and seems to me like completely unlikely in terms of super hit maker. Yeah. 
And there, there are, uh, I've listened to like a couple of interviews with Lizzo where uh, people, people have asked her like, what genre are you? As if they are like annoyed that she won't stick to a genre and it's not fair somehow. And she's just like, why do you care? Yeah, it's, it's like, I'm just writing music. <laughs> right. Which, which most musicians do. They're not like going, we are a funk band. We are going to write funk music. They're just like, well, this is the type right. of music we like, so we're going to write it. Um, and one of the things that I was thinking about going back to Groove is in the Heart is what other music was coming out that was like this at the time. And there were other dance tracks. I mean, clearly they were part of a New York scene. Um, and I like, I don't know. I, I was having trouble coming up with stuff. Like I thought of CC Peniston of all people. Okay, sure. Who, who I hadn't thought of in forever. Are there any other, uh, let's say like, Artists who have hit the Billboard, uh, like, Hot 100, uh, Top 200. What's the singles chart? It's the uh, top 200. Whatever they decide on that week. Um, that ha- that have penis in the name. <laughs> it's penis. <laughs> I know. Um, the only one I can think of is, uh, what what was the band that wrote Detachable Penis? That was King Missile, but yep. Penis wasn't wasn't the name of their, their band, unfortunately. No, but you're right. you're right. Okay, no, but that was in the, in the name of the song. If it would be really funny if CC Peniston and Detachable Penis were like the only two times that the word penis has, has appeared on the Billboard show. Oh, I, I was thinking that I was going to start a King Missile slash CC Peniston cover band called Detachable Peniston. Oh, this is a good idea. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, oh yeah, Technotronic and Snap. As soon as you put those bands down, like their their uh, signature songs, each band like immediately jumped into my yeah, head. Yeah. So there were other bands doing this at at the time, and I think that every time another like performer comes around and has a hit with some sort of dance track that's similar to like seventies throwback funk, the labels try to find one or two other artists that they can throw into the mix on uh, popular radio and see if they can find another hit that's like, oh, well, if people are listening to this right now, maybe they'll listen to this as well. Uh, like Wolfpack, they're they're like a current funk band, I'm right? I'm so proud of you for knowing Wolfpack. Thank you. The fact that a band like that can sell out Madison Square Garden yeah. is absolutely incredible to me. If, if you guys don't know Wolfpack, go check them out. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit hit and miss. Sometimes their stuff is really cheesy, but the stuff that's great is absolutely great. Listen to Back Pocket. Absolutely incredible song. Um, yeah, I, uh, I've i been listening to uh, Japanese Breakfast, Jubilee, nonstop. It's very good. I haven't heard the full album yet. Then it closes with a three-minute guitar solo, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> I love how bands can do whatever they want these days. Yep. Uh, you can find us. Can I do the you can find us? I was you just going to start doing it. Let's you see if can. I know how to do it. Uh, Facebook.com slash Hidden Jukebox. Uh, jukebox Hidden on Instagram. Uh, HiddenJukebox.com. Anything else? Um, I'm happy to uh, be sitting in your living room for the first time in over a year. Yeah, I'm happy to be sitting in my living room. No, wait, I've been doing that nonstop. Yeah. Let, let's do this again sometime. Like, All right. Like next month. Yeah, I'll pick, uh, I'll pick a song. Like, yeah. Like CC Peniston? I maybe. <laughs> All right. Until All right. next time, I'm Jake Amster. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton.